everybody, let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project that I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to BarryCats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. Thou shalt pitch, not bitch. That's like the number one. It's very easy, especially for new writers, to bitch. They make a this doesn't work. This doesn't work. Okay, what's your what's your pitch? What's your solution? People love, especially, new, but that's hard. It's so easy to tear something apart and find the holes in it, but it's much harder to come up with a solution. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. Hope you're having a great summer so far. And thank you so much for all your support. I really, really appreciate it. You guys are truly, truly amazing. And I'm so, so grateful. We have a great show today, part one of two with Michael Jammon. He's an amazing, amazing artist, writer, showrunner, executive producer, creator, just incredible. And I know you're going to be very inspired by him as I am. And uh, before we get started, I just want to let you know if you need to reach me, you can do so at BarryCats at Instagram or Twitter or at BarryCats.com. So without further ado, I will introduce the man. Michael Jammon is a writer and showrunner living in Los Angeles who has been writing for television since 1996. In 1997, Michael was hired to work on NBC's Just Shoot Me as a story editor. He eventually served as co-producer on the show for 36 episodes from 1999 to 2000. From 2001 to 2006, Michael worked on King of the Hill, where he was co-executive producer for 52 episodes. His first stint as an executive producer showrunner was from 2009 to 2011 on Glenn Martin DDS, a stop-motion animated series on Nick at Night starring Kevin Nealon, Judy Greer, and the amazing Catherine O'Hara. From 2013 to 2016, Michael served as executive producer showrunner on IFC's Marin, starring none other than Mark Marin. Michael's work also includes Beavis and Butthead, Wilfred Brickleberry, Rules of Engagement, Out of Practice, Lopez, Red and Lynx, Buddy System, and many, many, many more. 
Currently, Michael is co-executive producing on Tacoma FD on True TV, where he and his long-term writing partner, Sievert Glarum, just finished writing season four. Michael is the host of Screenwriters Need to Hear This, a podcast meant to help aspiring writers, actors, and directors understand the business from perspectives of a working television writer. After working as a sitcom writer for the past 26 years, Michael wanted to try something new. So he spent the past year growing his social media following by posting daily screenwriting tips on Instagram and TikTok, where he's amassed nearly 250,000 followers in the past eight months. Something he's working on right now that he's really proud of is his new one-man show, a staged reading from his forthcoming collection of personal essays entitled A Paper Orchestra, which opens in Los Angeles this summer. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my guest today. What an honor, Michael Jammin. The honor is mine. Thank you, Barry. Yeah. That's such a great name. I've never met a Jammin in my life. I know. It's a family name. It's not even made up. Have you ever met a jammin before? It's, uh, well, just my aunt and uncle. It's biblical. It's a biblical name. And as my father says, there's a character in the Bible named Jammin of little uh, consequence. That's how he describes him. Little consequence. So you, get, you find him and they go, oh, that guy <laughs> didn't do much. Wait, did you say little consequence? Yeah, he was, in, he was insignificant. <laughs> He's an insignificant biblical character. So the meaning of your last name is insignificant. Uh, that's the that's, that's not the meaning. That's the takeaway. <laughs> that's what we can think of when you hear his name. He, he didn't do any. He was in the Bible. Jamin was in the Bible, but he didn't do much. But Benjamin means Ben, son of Jamin. He did something. We know him. I did not know that. Yeah, Benjamin means son of Jamin, and, and there's a thousand Benjamins. We put them on the on the on the bills, on the five dollar bill, five dollar bills. I don't know. I haven't seen much money lately. <laughs> Son of $20 bill. Is it the 20? Okay. It's great to have you. I haven't spent a lot of time with you, but the time that I have spent with you, I've always really enjoyed it. I've always really felt calm and safe. And that's your energy. I mean, that's why that's why we enjoy doing that project with you. You have a very, I think, I think maybe most of your success, or at least part of your success, is talking about the fact that you're just so likable. Like people like your energy. People like hanging around you. So hey, let's, let's bring Barry uh, on board. <laughs> he's, he's nice to be around. I hope that's true. I think to myself, a lot of people who probably listen to this podcast from the early days, I remember when my father passed away, I was four years old and I'd be in bed and I'd hear crying. And, you know, as a little four-year-old, how you kind of walk around a certain space and you kind of look and see what's happening. And my mother would be at the sink doing the dishes. You know, those old houses that always had the sink and the, the window overlooking the backyard. And I'd see that, that crying right. uh, and the whimpering. And I remember that I used to go over to her and like hold her leg and say, everything's going to be okay, mom. Mommy or whatever. And so I think from a young age, maybe psychologically, I was always the everything's going to be okay guy, no matter how crazy things get. Right. You know, it's always darkest before the dawn and everything is going to be okay. Right. And when you're working with a lot of different artists, you have to figure out how to be that way, I think, because the safer people feel. I mean, let's face it, when it really comes down to it, 
I know this is odd to talk about this at the beginning of this podcast, but I feel this way about you as well. It's like, I think the number one thing in the world that everyone wants that ties to everything else, there's actually two things. And the first thing is control. So we're born, we have no control over anything, where we're born, who our parents are, where we live, how much money they have, if we're disabled, if we're not, if we're smart, if we're dumb, if we're whatever. But beyond that, because all through our life, we're fighting to gain the most control possible until we die. That's one of the reasons why you're doing the play and you're doing the social media is because you're in control. There isn't one person who can stop you. There's no one who can stop you. Maybe your wife can stop you, but no one can stop you. If the theater tells you, hey, Michael, go fuck yourself, you find another theater. If Twitter closes down because of Elon Musk, you'll find another platform. It's like no one's stopping you and no one's stopping an artist like that. But when you're a writer, number one, in a writing team, it's like a marriage. So your writing partner can stop you. He can argue with you so much about a certain point that you just give in, that you wouldn't give into and vice versa. And then when you finally get your vision together and then you go and you present it to uh, the artist that you're trying to work with, they might be like, look, and I don't like this. I don't like that. Can we change that? Can we do that? And then you compromise a little bit more. And then you go to the studio, let's say, that you want to finance it. And then you got to tap dance for those people. Mm-hmm. And then you finally get the deal with them and get a little money. And then you go to the network and then you got to tap dance some more for those people mm-hmm. just to get your show on the air. And then when you get your show on the air, you got to tap dance to the advertisers and the people because if you don't get the ratings, they're not going to keep you on. So you have like no control of a lot of things unless you're doing really well. And that's when people have control. And that's when you're right. When you go on the air and you start doing well, what are they going to do? Cancel you? Another network will have you on. Whatever it is. Chappelle and Netflix, follow the f***ing money. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, why is Louis off the air? Doesn't make as much money for Netflix as Dave does. Mm-hmm. Why is Kevin Spacey off the air? Because right. he wasn't as valuable anymore to them as he used to be in the beginning. But Michael Jackson, we can identify parts of your penis by 14-year-olds. Let's do a Las Vegas show about you. Let's do a Broadway show. Let's have your music play all over the world. Right. So you are in control. And then the second thing is safety. Mm -hmm. So everyone wants to feel safe. Everyone wants to feel like comfortable. No one wants to feel uneasy, awkward, a pit in their stomach. No one wants to walk through life where you're anxious. And so when I work with you, I get that really wonderful feeling that everything is going to be okay and things are going to go great. The last project we worked on together, I felt that way. But, you know, again, control. The pandemic comes in and it's like, oh, okay, I guess we're not doing this for the next three months. Oh, 
I guess we're not doing this for another three months. Yeah. Oh, I guess it's a year has gone by and oh, and now it's a year and a half gone by. And then it's like you just lose sight of the project. It's like, ah, where are you? It's what we, we used to have the. Uh, OK. Yeah. My partner, and, we're talking about that today. Yeah. And so it's like I always feel that about you. So what I really wanted to ask you is where does that come from? Why do you, throughout all the craziness that you deal with, why is it that I don't feel a darkness from you? Why is it that I don't feel any deep-seated anger or thing? Why are you so great in the rooms and so calm and so wonderful? In the beginning of our when my, my partner and I started writing, there was so much pressure. It was like, this had to be great. This, and we would fight over everything. And then it's like, you realize, you know, it, 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 you don't need to fight over it. It's okay. You don't have to win every battle. And, you know, it, it, it's going to, it's collaborative. And, and like you're saying, everyone else is going to have a, a, a say in it and they're going to want to change it. So if you're clinging so tight to it, you have to let it go from the beginning because it was never yours to begin with. Because first of all, you're selling it to the studio. They're paying you. It's theirs. You sold it to them, right? Remember, you remember you got a big bag of money? It's theirs now. You know, it's like when you sell your car, you don't get to, if they want to paint it blue, well, it's their car. You took the money, right? So there's that, you know, you don't have to fight over everything, you know? So, it, and there's, and there's, there's so many decisions that have to be made. It's okay if you don't make all of them. It's okay if someone makes another, some of them, you know, we, when my partner and I were running Marin, there were so many decisions to make and and even with the costume, you know, the wardrobe department, they'd say, what shirt should we, they, they be wearing in this scene? And I remember even saying to her, I said, well, what shirt do you think the character would wear? And she looked at me like I was nuts. Like, what, you're going to let me decide? I'm like, yeah, well, what do you think? You read the script. What do you think this character would wear? And she was so happy. And then she got more invested in, in, in dressing these characters because she's like, oh, I, I get to decide. And so she had re she'd tell me reasons for why this character would wear this over that. And I'm like, that sounds good. Sounds like you gave it a lot of thought. Let's do what your idea is. Do your way. And you know why you gave her that? You gave her the victory. Yeah. yeah. And she loved you gave it. Her, you gave her that victory because you know that no one turns off a show because somebody's shirt is royal blue or robin egg blue. Yeah. And also that show Marin was like, it was so low budget. It was so, you know, it wasn't always perfectly lit. It was... The cameras weren't always perfect, but that was part of the charm. No one ever said, hey, the lighting isn't perfect. They would say, oh, the acting is good and the writing is good. That's what they commented on. As long as there wasn't someone's thumb in the frame, I was like, all right, this is good enough. Let's move on. When you first got the budget for Marin. Oh, my God. You worked on shows. You know, it's, it's famous to know that Louis' show on FX was, I believe, 325000 a show for the first 10 episodes. Yeah. Were you in that range? We were, I think, around four twenty, which was yeah. exceptionally low. And I remember we were getting a tour showing us the office space. And she was, you know, she was, I don't know what her department, she's the production department. And she starts laughing and she's giving me a tour. She goes, oh, I shouldn't be telling you this. I'm like, telling me what? She goes, well, we're all kind of laughing because we don't think you can make the show based on the budget. So we don't know how you're going to do this. And um, this is not what I wanted to hear. This is my first job running a live action show. We'd run uh, animated before this, but never a live action. It's like, I was like, oh God. And then I said to her, well, can we at least have a, a whiteboard in the room? Because that's how you break stories is like a big whiteboard. And then she, and I, cause I really didn't think we would get furniture. I thought we'd have to sit on the floor. <laughs> like we wouldn't get chairs because that's how she painted it. And I was, and she goes, oh yeah, you can get as many whiteboards as you want. We have a supply closet. You take as many as you want. I was like, oh, okay. It's going to be fine then. 
someone's gonna get one of those that I'll just, you know, we'll be able, we'll write scenes that are easy to shoot. That's not a problem. And it wasn't, it never was a problem. One of the things that I also think that is important to note about you is that you could go toe to toe with me on this, but most people who do animation to start their careers mm-hmm. aren't wildly successful doing live action. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, we first of all, we started on live action. So we, sh- we started four years on Just Shoot Me, and then we went to King of the Hill for five years. And as far as I was concerned, there really was not much different. In, in many ways, King of the Hill was less of a cartoon than Just Shoot Me was. You know, because King of the Hill was very real. It was very grounded. Hank was just an ordinary dude. And Just Shoot Me often got broad and silly. So I don't know. I, I don't know. I never even saw myself as an animation writer, even though I've done animation since then a number of times. I'm, I, I'm a comedy writer. I don't really care how you you know, how, how we shoot the thing. Do you believe that? Let's say you're working on an animated show that you and your partner Sievert mm-hmm. have created. Yeah. And you're getting your submissions for writers for the show mm-hmm. after it's been picked up. Are you saying that you're going to hire people based on just are they a great writer or are you going to hire people based on the fact, okay, we got two guys that are great writers. Mm-hmm. Uh, one writes live action. One, all he does is animation. Are you saying that if all things equal, you're going to hire the guy who's the live action guy or the animated guy? I, I, the animation means, means nothing to me. All I care about is can they tell a, t- a story that makes me turn the page that makes me want to find out what happens next. And I don't care if it's live action animation, stop motion animation. I don't care if it's a movie. I don't care if it's a play. Because that's the job of every story is, are you compelling the reader to want to find out what happens next? And if you can't do that, I don't really care what format you're doing it in. But animation, the characters aren't real for the most part. So it's like they're real, but the things that happen, a lot of them could never happen. Well, no, I mean, not like, it depends. Like on King of the Hill, that well, show didn't I, I, I know I know King of the that's 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 an anomaly. Right. Right. But if you're taking Family Guy or Yeah, you know, let's take Family Guy, which is probably arguably one of the most successful animated shows in the history of television. Right. Those characters, many of them aren't real. Right. Many so of them would it could never happen in real life. So how could you hire somebody from that show to write live action? over somebody who's written live action. I'm just, I'm just trying to understand. would have to match. So take BoJack Horseman, but a, a horse with depression. That's a pretty real show, right? And so if someone gave me a BoJack Horseman and I was writing a live action show, that might match, but certainly a family guy probably wouldn't match. So tone, it's really more about the tone. Uh, but there are also live action shows. I'm trying to, I can't think of any that were really kind of cartoony and silly and, and big and broad, uh, which might be more lend itself to animation. You know, just really about what, what tone I want to shoot. And, you know, I, I know I went on the follow the money rant, but I just want to go on a sideline here. The Office, every show, Michael says something that's cancelable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> every single show. But nobody ever says anything about that show. Nobody ever tries to take that show off the air. Right. Because it's the most watched show and the most financially successful show probably of all time with billions and billions and billions of views. Right. 
Well, they never talk about what he says being offensive and cancelable. Why do you think that is? I don't know. I don't know. Someone asked me if, if they if I thought they could do the office now. And I was like, yeah, why not? But I'm I'm not the right person to ask for that because I don't my barometer for what's offensive is not what everyone else is. <laughs> I can, I'm pretty offensive. Hey everybody. I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my Blueprint for Success, a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one -on -one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. Are there things in your career that you died on the sword for that you look back and say, maybe I shouldn't have taken that big a stand on that one? I don't, you know, I, there's a story. I remember, I'm trying to think, I think it was just shoot me and, and Seaver and I were writing a script and I wanted a line. And I thought for sure that I had this joke that I wanted to put in. He didn't think it was funny. I'm like, Seaver, this is funny. Damn it. We're putting it. We got into a big fight. This is going into the script. It's funny. I'm telling you, it's going to kill. So somehow the joke makes it to the table. We go to the, the table, which is the first day of rehearsal with all the actors sitting around. And we get to the, my line. And I don't remember whose line, I don't remember who's delivering it, but I remember the line just tanked. It just hung there. It just sat there like a turd, no reaction. And I just started bawling laughing because I just thought it was so funny. I was like, how was I so wrong? Oh my God, I was completely wrong. And now I'm, I'm the only one at the table laughing. And then everyone's looking at my partner. They're thinking I'm laughing at him. It must be his joke, right? And now they're blaming him for his, this joke. And now I'm laughing harder. Because they think it's hit. like, man, I just, I, and it was so funny how I turned that around. I sold them, I sold them up the river. <laughs> On the other side, tell the audience about something that you remember that you were like, had complete doubt about. You're like, I'm going to give him this line to put in here, but this thing is never going to do well. And he's going to find out when this goes to the table and it gets like an applause break at the table. <laughs> that happens too. That's why you have table reads. Cause you don't, we, you know, after doing this for so long, you know, I, I like to think that I'm right more often than not, but that's why we have table reads. Like, you know, sometimes, and you could feel a script. You could just feel the energy leave the room. Uh, we did years ago, we did a, a table read for an episode. I had no confidence in. And uh, it was at King of the Hill. And I remember thinking, this story is not broken right. But I was a young writer. And I was like, eh. It's, I, I was out, you know, the, the, I was the boss. You, you always defer to the boss. I was like, what do I know? But I, in my heart, I was like, I don't think this story is broken. I think we're going to lose the audience. And we get to the table. And that's exactly what happened. You could just feel at around two or three minutes into the script, like the energy left the room. And, and you're just looking at your watch. Like, oh, my God. How many, how much more? we have to suffer this and halfway through the table read mercifully somehow uh, the fire alarm went off <laughs> it's like thank god thank god something interesting happened but yeah so you but you learn from that you learn okay what why did this story not work and now and and now i'm 
hell, I'm always uh, always double kicking the tires before we go to the table on a script because I don't want to do that again. That was embarrassing. <laughs> Tell our audience a show out there that you know of that breaks every single rule and is still works. It's still funny. There's no hardly any story. Everything is like discombobulated, but it still works. Well, I wouldn't say just compile like the, the show Barry, which which I love. It's got it's taken a turn this season. It's getting dark. I, you know, it's not quite as funny as it was. It certainly isn't as light. I mean, the guy's you know, he's, I think he's had a mental breakdown, uh, and so it's taking a turn. But I'm like, all right, let's see where you're going to go with this. And and I just read today got picked up for season four. So obviously, uh, this is the road they're going down, and I think that's cool. You know, I love that show, but it's uh, it's taking a turn. Let's see what's going to happen. And when you watch this season, do you say to yourself, well, there's no story here or? No, there's always a story. I just feel like it's not something, you know, obviously they're doing some character damaging. Usually you're protective of your characters, but that's not what's going on here. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Is there always in every single show, is it possible for an extraordinary episode of a show have absolutely no foundation of a story is it humanly possible i don't think so i think it's your it becomes a meditation and i think you really risk losing your audience i i feel strongly that i have i have an obligation to the audience and that is to keep them uh entertained and to keep them like i said wanting to turn the page if you really deconstruct something and make it almost avant-garde you know that's really more for you and not for your audience and that's when you run a risk you know, it's, it's not, it may, it's probably not going to be as interesting to them as you think it is. And so I, you know, I, we, my partner, we rely heavily on, on story structure. We, you know, if we're kind of slaves to it to make sure that certain moments land, certain, we have certain beats and the moments land and any, and within that structure, there's plenty of freedom. So it's not like it's formulaic. There's a lot of freedom, but you have to still hit those, those moments. There's certain shows I watch and I just, I'm not an expert as much as you are. I'm not as much of a savant as you are with the stuff, but like you'll, I'll watch certain shows and I guess what I'm looking for, and I'm just one person out of a gajillion people in the world, but what I'm looking for is something that I've never seen before. And so like, even when I, and don't get me wrong, I, I, I don't get so upset when I see something I've seen before and I don't remember where I've seen it, like the flight attendant. Right. Okay. If you haven't seen the show, turn off this part of the podcast, but it's like, we have the person, she's promiscuous. She is in bed with a guy. She gets up all, you know, beautiful and to the window and notices blood on her hand and blood or whatever, and then looks back and the guy's dead in the bed. Right. Now I know that I've seen this before right? in a show, in a movie and trying to figure out the mystery of what happened. Right. So they take a formula that's been done before and then add a little nurse Jackie to it. So her peers see her on the show as something she's not maybe and the audience sees her as something different whereas i'll see a show and we're not talking comedy now but it's fascinating because the show had some ups and downs and now you can't find it but like manifest right the concept the plane goes up in the air and doesn't come back for another god knows how many years and 
everything's changed. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, never been done before in the history of television or movies. However, in the dead zone, he has the accident. Right. And he wakes up and his life has changed. But it's in that genre, but manifest nothing like it. Breaking Bad never saw a concept like that. And so in comedy, what always bothers me the most mm-hmm. is that I can see some great shows, whatever it might be, like Parks and Rec, but then I think, okay, well, The Office right. is kind of like the same feeling I right. get. Sure. But all in the family, I've never seen another show like it as long as I've lived. But you know, though, like, I, I don't think the bar for make something good has to be, we've never seen it. Like, one of my favorite movies, and let me tell you the plot of one of my favorite movies. You're not going to be impressed by it. Uh, it is socially awkward, uh, introverted girl can find love for everyone but herself. That sounds like a pretty by the book, romantic comedy that's in and out of the theaters in about a week and a half. But that is the plot of Amelie, which is one of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen and it won the Oscar. And so it's like, it's really not the idea so much as the execution of the idea. You know, you can take, you don't need a great idea. You need a good idea and you need to execute it great. And then it feels fresh. Look, you know, and, and that's probably the difference between you and I is I don't want to go to a magic show and see one guy do a rope trick and see another guy do a rope trick in a different way. I don't give a fuck about the rope. Tr- I want to see... I want to see the guy, Jason Latimer, doing the cups and balls that has been done since vaudeville with clear cups. Right. Okay, then I'm impressed. And so I forget that I said I'm impressed. I'm impressed with anybody who can get anything on the air and make it work. It's an amazing accomplishment. But my feeling is, as an artist, your best shot of getting to the promised land and creating a legacy for yourself that will stand the test of time and garner you the most respect from every single person in the industry mm-hmm. is if you create a show that when people watch it, they're like, I've never seen anything like that before. Yeah. Uh, it, it, the problem is good luck pitching that because then you're, you're asking an executive to buy something that they've never seen before. They can't even imagine it. And there's, there are shows like that, like in and of itself by Derek Delgadio, uh, it was a beautiful, but it was a one man, you know, one man show. How do you, I couldn't even, I couldn't even begin to describe it. And it was so beautifully and original, but uh, you know, it's a t- I think it's a tough sell. You mentioned the show in this podcast that fulfills all of those characteristics. Bojack Horseman. Yeah. Right. There is nothing even remotely like that show anywhere in the world i don't care live action i don't care whatever it is animated nothing like it right just riveting at least if you're in our business it's riveting right that show i don't care who you are in the business if you don't see that show and have wild respect for what's happened there then maybe I think we should all quit the business. Yeah, it's very much an auteur kind of show. Yeah, yeah, very specific to, yeah. Yeah, so so that's why I wanted to ask you, and I knew I would be on with you a long time because you're so, you get me all riled up with this stuff. talk about this, yeah. So you're doing something in social media and with your one person show that 
I think you'll agree is highly original. Now, <laughs> now, uh-huh. what you might disagree with that's not highly original. Well, Barry, I'm, you know, there's people who are out there who give tips on screenwriting. Come on. I mean, there's a million people out there right. doing that. And so, like you said, it's the formula of how you deliver it. Yeah. And how you put it together that becomes so organic to you. Right. And it's like we talked about the rope trick. It's like, I might not want to see the rope trick from another person, but maybe, maybe if somebody does a rope trick and all of a sudden the rope is hanging themselves and I think they're going to die. And then all of a sudden the rope becomes undone and they live. <laughs> maybe I'm into the rope trick more. Right, right. And so I think you're doing something as a showrunner and moving towards this lane that when you combine both of them, I don't think there's anybody doing that. Thank you. I hope there was, there was some thought in going into it, which was obviously I had to be authentic. I had to be myself, but part of it is to actually build an audience so that people want to come see me, my, my one man show. So if I'm, if I'm one person on social media, sometimes stayed professor type telling you how to make a screenplay, then that's not like, I want people to come see my show as well and read my book. And so I, I have to be the same person. And so but that means I have to let my person, my personality come out or else or like, you know, cause really I'm selling myself. All right. So I remember I interviewed a young artist who has since ran the last season of the last OG Owen Smith. Okay. And the one thing in his podcast that I loved, he shared his version of the 10 commandments of the writer's room. Okay. Thou shall not. And there were 10 things that he mentioned. I bet you I could name them all. (laughs) I want to know what is your 10 commandments of the writer's room? Number one is, uh, you know, thou shalt pitch, not bitch. That's like the number one. It's very easy, especially for new writers, to bitch. They make a this doesn't work. This doesn't work. Okay, what's your what's your pitch? What's your solution? People love, especially, but that's hard. It's so easy to tear something apart and find the holes in it, but it's it's much harder to come up with a solution. So, if you're not, if, that'll get you thrown, that'll get you fired. Pitching, not uh, bitching, and not pitching will get you fired. Number, Number two, there's a misconception that okay, there's let's say there's twelve writers in the room and it's a democracy and we're all gonna we're all here, you know, we're all arguing because I, I I want you I want you to use my idea because my idea is the best idea, right? And that guy that she thinks the same way that her idea is the best idea. That's not what the job is. The job is, that is not the job. Your job is to make the best version of the show that the showrunner wants to make. And you may disagree. You may think that their version is worse than yours, but that's just an opinion. Uh, and, but you are there to serve them because they sold the show. They got it on the air and you may not like it, but so they, they have the power to hire and fire you. And, and so I'm always, even in the last show we're on is uh, Tacoma FD. The showrunners are great, two great guys. I don't always agree with them. I'm just trying to get on their page. I'm like, oh, if I pitch something they don't like, okay, what don't you like about it? And then I go, okay, let me see how I can fix that to give you something that you do like. It's as easy as that. I see so many young writers start arguing. I'm like, oh my God. And then, then you disappear into the cornfield. So that's two. Are there more? Do I need eight more? <laughs> eight more. The most important thing is, is understanding story structure. I think most people think, oh, it's about the joke. Because in the beginning, there was always like, joke writers versus story writers, story people. But the joke people are always the ones usually get the, are the heroes because they say something that's funny, but the story people are far more important. 
Story, story trumps jokes every time. Every time, because jokes are disposable. You can you can swap out jokes, but if the story doesn't hold water, you're dead. Number four. You know, I, I get there are people who are mean. That's, I guess you could that thou shalt not be mean because the thing is, you will be in the position where one of the other writers, your lower levels, will will when they have a show and, and you'll want to work for them. <laughs> I mean, you don't want to be mean to these people. I know plenty of showrunners who have since gone on to work for the people underneath them who now have their own shows. So there's really no point. You know, sometimes people say, well, how are you so grounded? I was like, dude, you spend enough time on the ground. You'll be grounded. <laughs> there's no, like, where, where does no ego? What are you talking to that one on window years ago? Number five, thou shall not. I don't know. It's a hard, that's a hard one. I don't know. I, I, I give you four good ones. I improve the Ten Commandments. <laughs> let, let me ask you about some that I'm thinking about. Yeah. I would imagine in a writer's room, keep your phone in your pocket until oh, you go God, to the yeah. bathroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, keep your phone. That's so tempting to open, look in that phone. I don't even bring it in to the room. Yeah. I would imagine another one is if somebody's pitching an idea, don't shit all over it. Just keep your mouth shut. Yeah. And, and pitch it. The flip side of that is here. Okay, here's here's more ideas. So if there's ten writers in the room, you may think, well, and you're brand new, you're staff writer, no experience, and you think, well, I, I got to speak a tenth of the amount of time because you know there's ten of us here. I better speak a tenth. But the thing is, that co-executive producer is making ten times the amount of money than you're making. You don't have to speak. They they should be speaking way more than you because they're making a lot more than you. So you don't have to speak equal. When you open your mouth, you just better be something good. You don't have to. I hear people just fill in the room, fill in the silence because they feel like I got to say something. That's a recipe for disaster. What else bothers you when you're running a show that in the writer's room? Oh, okay. So here's another one. If you never want to be the last ass in the seat, that that honor goes to the showrunner. You get there early on time. You never leave the showrunner waiting. You get your ass in the seat first. And you wait for them. There's another one. This might be six or seven, Barry. This, well, let's just call it eight to be safe. You don't, people sometimes mirror their behavior on the showrunner, thinking, well, if the showrunner does that. I can do that. You're the boss. You can't do that. You can't act like them. <laughs> Show them respect. And as the, here's another idea as well, uh, another tip. If someone else is pitching an idea and you like it, piggyback, get onto it. Start, yes, I like that. And, and building on that idea, and that's how you can help. So you don't have to have an original idea of your own. Just you can build on theirs, and that helps too, in, in a big way. I always wonder what it's like when you're an NBA or NFL or major league coach, and you hire somebody to work as your assistant coach who's coached another team as the head coach. Yeah. Is there a little bit of animosity or competition or something when you're hired as a person under a creator and vice versa when you guys are the creators and you hire somebody who's run their own show to, to me it's uh it's a i i'd love i love those people in the room if, I, if i'm running a show with my partner and, and the in the co-exec has a lot of experience or even more great because i can we can rely on them for their for their help that's what i want i want experience so what do you think? I do. How am I doing? That's it's that kind of thing, you know. So it's not it's not like a competition. It's really it's really more. Um, what's the word? A community. As always, this has been industry standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. 
Listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to BarryKatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support and have a great day. Hey, everybody, let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to BarryCats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever.